Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Gale to Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Unfinished Business 3. Under the same bright moon, Nulif led Zevo away from the camp at her request. The elf took the witcher over two grassy hills and stopped underneath a gray, threadbare tree with its trunk shaped like a scythe. A nice sight, Zevo commented. Nulif sat cross-legged at the base of the tree and beckoned him to do the same. Zevo did, feeling a strange sense of deja vu. I imagine you want to talk to me about something, if you took me this far out. Newlift chuckled. Is the pleasure of your company not enough? I thought you would have been champing at the bit to hear about how my life has been going. And how has your life been going? The elf scratched her cheek and shrugged. Too much has happened. Most of it not very interesting. The witcher grinned. Same for me. He had not seen Newlift in three decades, and was surprised to find her, quite suddenly it seemed, in southern Redania. She hadn't changed in his estimation, still the wide-eyed elf with more curiosity than every member of their old Hansa combined. But Zevo knew looks could be deceiving, and he remembered well how the rest of the Hansa had taken advantage of his trust. So he sat with Nulif, but he watched her closely. She rummaged through her bag and produced two items of note. The first was a deck of cards, their large, rectangular backs once painted purple with an ivy-like gold design but now faded to near obscurity. Some corners were bent, and the cards arched up slightly. It was the tarot cards Nulif stole from some town in the Nilfgaardian province of Ebbing. The second item she pulled out was a bottle of Est-Est wine. Been saving this for a special occasion, Nulif said, popping the cork off and taking a drink from the bottle. She handed it to Zevo. I figure reuniting with an old companion after thirty years counts, don't you? I... Zevo took the bottle and drank. The tangy acidity lingered on his tongue. Going to read your fortune to me, are you? No, Nulif laughed. The cards blurred with each shuffle, and she laid five cards face down between them in the shape of a cross. I thought I'd try my hand at reading your fortune. Like old times, eh? Just like old times, Zevo said. Didn't pick up any new skills since we last met, Nulif. None that are as fun as this. Now shush and indulge me like you used to. Nulif drank in motion to the three cards in the middle of the cross. I've dealt your past, present, and future. She pointed to the card closest to Zevo. I've also drawn your body and, motioning to the card closest to her, your mind. Should be enough to get me up to speed on your life, I think. 
Zavo's love for tarot readings had not grown since Newlyf last read his fortune, but he didn't say as much because he knew she enjoyed such things, and he saw no sense in denying an old family member her joy just because he didn't like it. I think, Zevo said, swigging the estest, it just might. Read away, Newlyf. We'll start with the past. Newlyf flipped the leftmost card over, revealing a dark, jagged tower beneath roiling thunderclouds and lightning. The paint was similarly faded on this side of the card, but the image lost none of its power. The tower, a sign of sudden upheaval and disaster. Perhaps, if I may venture, broken pride. It seems you suffered a personal tragedy recently. The Witcher grunted. He pictured Duchess Isabella Vartberg, and how she had spurned his offer to join her in Sidorus. He remembered the sharp pain in his chest when she told him their relationship would never work, that the ship had sailed long ago. Never had much pride to begin with, and a Witcher's plight is never short of tragedy, personal or otherwise. A little sensitive on it, I see. Then I won't ask you to dwell. The past is the past, after all. Let's see how your body has been faring. She flipped over the card closest to Zevo. A man and woman of simple design were naked and entwined in the upright position, a green and white garland floating over their heads. The card looked upside down to Zevo. The lovers, typically a sign of partnership and union. That's clear enough, given what they're doing. But for you, it's the reverse, revealing disharmony, loss of balance. Newlyf grabbed at the wine bottle Zevo held out, her eye flicking to the silver scar running across the side of his face. You've a few more scars than the last time we met, I noticed. Not as young as I used to be, I suppose, Zevo said. He tried to smile, but felt it came off insincere. You don't look to have changed a bit. Newlyf shrugged. I've lived soft most of the years we were apart. A humble village life. Had to get back to living like we used to only recently, and such things don't come back easy. My eyes blur from following so many trails. My back hurts from sleeping on the ground so many nights. I think I'd start accumulating scars like yours if I stayed in the wilderness much longer. You likely would, Zevo grunted. Which is why I don't aim to stay on the road much longer. Nulith passed the bottle back. Once this issue with the Hanza is resolved, I'm retiring for good. The elf looked at Zevo for several seconds, as if expecting a response. The Witcher wasn't sure what she wanted him to say but he felt the need to say something, so he drank and went with, probably for the best, the road's not for everyone. But it's for you? I was made to wander the path. It's all I have. Newlyf sighed. Let's turn to the present, then. She turned the middle card over. This one pictured a wizened old man that reminded Zevo of Signet the Sorcerer. The man wore a battered straw hat, and a bluebird circled around his head. This card was also upside down. The recluse could be a source of contemplation and inner truth, but to you is a source of loneliness and isolation, typically a sign that one has lost their way. Zevo clenched his jaw. Not quite the cheery reunion I was hoping for, Nulef. Are you trying to tell me something? No, I'm simply reading the cards as they're laid out. I can't help the feelings you associate with them. It just lets me know I'm close to the mark. Nulef's face softened, and she quickly looked up at the stars. I'm sorry if that was out of turn. We can stop if you wish. Keep going. Might as well finish it. The mind, then. Golden scales set on a pedestal, each bowl perfectly balanced with a white feather in each. This card was upright to Zevo, 
but he felt himself tense nonetheless. Judgment typically represents reflection or an awakening. Paired with the recluse, I think, is a good thing. See, there's hope for you yet, Zevro of Kavir. There's always hope. I reckon the last card to be read is my future. Aye. Newlyf grabbed the card from the opposite corner than usual and flipped it inward, allowing the card to be upright instead of reversed. If Zevo wasn't watching, he would have missed this sleight of hand. But he was watching. The card was familiar to him. A painted clown in mid-tumble on a wooden stage. The buffoon, an old favorite of yours, if I recall. The fool that sees beyond it all, Zevo said. You remember, the buffoon represents free spirits and innocence. In your instance, it can foretell new beginnings. And that doesn't sound so bad, does it? What's the reverse mean? Zevo tilted the bottle to his lips, but pulled away. He didn't have the stomach for more wine at the moment. Recklessness, typically, or being taken advantage of. Lucky you, dear witcher. Lucky me. Zevo handed the bottle back. Newlyth drank it without hesitation. What are you hoping to do out here, Newlyth? Convince the Hansa to go back to Nilfgaard with you? You must know that won't happen. They've made their choice and thrown in with Arthur. Newlyth busied herself gathering up the tarot cards. I know that. Too much has happened to go back to the way things were anyway. But there's always hope for new beginnings, no? Even for old souls like us. She again smiled at Zevo, but it quickly faded. I don't know what I'm hoping to accomplish here. I've been following the Hans out of, I don't know, an old sense of loyalty. They've done wrong by you, Zevo, but I'd rather not see them die. And I won't kill them. I know that, Nulif said. Zevo stood up and stretched. Thanks for the fortune. Nulif remained seated. She looked up at the Witcher. And where are you headed to in the middle of the night? Zevo grinned at the elf, and this time its sincerity shined through. To the gutter camp. I'd like to chat with my old family, see if we can avoid repeating past mistakes. Do you want me to go with you? she asked, a drop of hope coloring her tone. Having a skilled tracker watching his back would likely keep him safer, the witcher thought, but he stopped himself from saying as much. It was Newlyth's tone that did it. The witcher was never blind to her feelings for him thirty years ago, though he pretended not to notice it back then. He couldn't imagine Newlyth felt the same way about him now but he didn't know for sure. Better to hedge his bets then, like he always did. No, Zevo finally said. I think it's best if I go it alone. 4. Under the same bright moon, Silva snuck away from the camp and found her own private patch of land. She drew up a quick circle of twigs and rocks she could forage, interspersed with a few lit candles. Silva muttered the right words and summoned up the right amount of power. She felt the energy leave her body, as if carried away by the breeze. She turned away from the summoning circle she created and looked up at the stars. She only looked back when she heard the things speak. Haven't done this in a while, have we? Inside the circle was a gangly creature, well over six feet. Its limbs were knotted like tree branches, and bark seemed to stand in for its flesh. Two thick, twisting branches protruded from the top of the creature's head like antlers. Shadow shrouded its body and features in darkness. Everything except its skull-like eyes, nose, and rictus grin, which were illuminated by an orange flame. No, we haven't, Silva said. 
When she and her sister Corinne were younger and flush with their newfound power, they used to summon their bound demons regularly, to train and learn and listen and, sometimes, just to pass the time. That all seemed so long ago, even though Corinne only died half a year ago. I know we haven't been on the best of terms lately. That's putting it lightly. The demon's mouth did not move, and Silva knew only she could hear its voice, or even see it. To an outside observer, it would look as if she was speaking to an empty ring. I miss our little fireside chats. Have you grown bored with my company, Silva? You know that's not the reason, Silva said. The demon waited a full five seconds before responding, in case Silva had more to add. I see you're still carrying that scratched mirror, the demon said. Your belief in its protective powers is misguided, Silva. All it's doing is reminding you of what happened. Just because Corinne bought it for you... Don't say her name, Silva hissed. She gripped the mirror's silver handle. You've no right to, after what you did. After what I did, the demon said, head tilting. I wasn't the one who made a pact for power. I was just the unfortunate spirit caught up in the chains. No, but you had a part to play in it, Silva said. She stared at the summoning circle to avoid eye contact. You were so reckless. You should have told us to be more discreet with your power. Then he might not have found us. No offense, Silva, the demon said, but that sounds like you're trying to blame the sword for killing someone instead of the person that swung it. They wouldn't be able to kill without a sword. Yes, the demon admitted, but you chose how to use my power. I just supply it and tell you what words to say. I'm not the one deciding who to use it on. I'm little more than a tool to you. She had never heard the demon speak like this before, or speak about its imprisonment so directly. Generally, they had maintained a friendly relationship, so Silva never saw the reason to speak to the thoughts that cast shadows over them both, and the demon never brought it up. Now the subject couldn't be avoided any longer, it seemed, so Silva asked the question she had long thought about, but never had the reason, nor courage, to ask. Do you want me to set you free? The demon's eyes widened, and a corona of red exploded in its eyes, like a shockwave. Set me free? I can't believe you'd ask me that. Set me free? You can't set me free, you fool, even if you wanted to. We're bonded. Do you have any idea what that means? Neither of us can leave this arrangement you made. I can't leave if I wanted to, and believe me, I've thought about it many times. Why the sour face, Silva? You were more than happy to commune with me and use my powers before, but now that I'm seen as an inconvenience, you want to throw me aside like moldy bread? Set me free? You insult me by asking that! A flash of light expanded from the demon's form, so bright and hot it felt like a second sun. The light expanded and filled the entirety of the circle, but it did not go beyond. Instead, it smashed against an invisible barrier with a startling thump. Silva yelped and hopped back, reaching for her dagger. The light receded slowly, sucking itself back into the demon. It was panting, and it saw Silva's hand on her dagger. The demon took a deep breath and looked up at the night sky, a place it was not allowed to go. You fear me. Don't you, Silva? Silva knew the answer immediately, but she took her time in saying it. Yes. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have gotten so angry. I'm better than that. The creature paced back and forth in the circle, its knotted arms swinging, never crossing the boundary. But we are bound together, Silva. 
like it or not. The mirror man saw to that when you signed his contract. There's nothing you or I can do about it now. If I'm to live with you until your death, I don't wish to be feared. Well, you can start by never doing that shit again, Silva said, an edge in her voice. You would have killed me if the circle wasn't there. I suppose that's one way to set yourself free, huh? Careful with your words, Silva, it said. Killing you would set me free, yes, but at an incredible price I don't wish to pay. I've always kept you safe, haven't I? But now you make it sound like I sicked that man on you and your sister. Well, what am I supposed to think, Silva spat. I never try to think too closely about what you are, what you represent. But now I can't think of anything else. It's consuming all of my thoughts. You've no idea what I've suffered these last six months. The demon laughed. Sparks flew from its mouth. You want to talk about suffering? How would you feel if you were suddenly imprisoned? All of your freedoms snatched away in an instant. Do you have any idea how limited I feel? What you've done to me is demeaning. Stop saying I did this to you, Silva said. I never asked for you. No, but you asked for power you didn't understand. What did you think would happen? That you'd harness the strength of a demon without incident? Did you think I'd just go away? I don't know. What was that? Speak up. I don't know what we were thinking. Fuck, Corinne and I were practically kids when we made that deal. You and Corinne. Don't say her name, Silva shouted. I told you not to say her name. Say it again, and I swear on the gods I'll break this circle right now and never summon you again. Silva's words floated into the night sky, which the demon took to staring at again. Its limbs hung low, and its back and shoulders slumped. Silva thought she heard a small sigh escape its skull. She felt like she could lie down on the grass and sleep, a temporary guilt reliever. Silva, the demon said, I am sorry about your sister's death. I truly am. I saw the toll it took on you, the toll it's taking on you. Telling you not to feel guilty won't work, I know, but ignoring me won't help you either. So what are we to do? This was a mistake, Silva realized. She wasn't ready to have this conversation, wasn't ready to confront this new reality. Everything was still so fresh. Silva swore she saw the demon wince, the slightest flicker of doubt in its fiery eyes. Your silence says everything. I'll leave you alone for now, Silva, but I can't promise I'll be there to meet you next time you need it. You may be on your own. I already feel on my own, Silva said. She placed her foot on a bundle of twigs forming part of the barrier. We'll talk again, I promise. I won't hold my breath. Silva scattered the twigs and broke the summoning circle. The demon faded in a flash, leaving Silva alone beneath the moon. She kicked a rock used in the circle as far as she could, watched it disappear into the dark, and walked back to camp. That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Sapkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at Tales Witcher Pod on X or at talesfromthewitcher.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.